0: Only a few weeks left in our Listen uh, sermon series, uh, the season after uh, Epiphany or season of Epiphany, in which um, we have been focusing on text out of First Corinthians mostly. Um, but before we jump into our text for today, I want—I—I I, I need you to use your imagination for a little bit, and this, for some, it's going to be a little bit of a bigger stretch than for others um you may uh regret this whole experience altogether by the time i'm done but i need you to pretend for a moment that you are a pastor of a church right can you get can you do that like put your imagination in gear put your thinking caps on right i want you to imagine for a moment that you are pastor of a church and not just at any point in time but um we're a Nazarene church, so we have uh, the structure, this uh, way of organizing things that we have district superintendents that kind of oversee and provide leadership and structure to groups of churches in a particular area together. So we have a, a district superintendent, you ha- you're a pastor, you have a district superintendent, and your DS, as we, we call them, because everything's an abbreviation in the Nazarene church, your DS comes and it says, hey, what's growing in your church, or how is your church growing? Um, What comes to mind first when you talk about, is your church growing, is a church growing, or not? What's that? Numbers. How many people you have, right? Or how much money? Is your offering increasing? Uh, Maybe do you have more programs going on? Like, oh, we started a new ministry, we started a new thing, right? That kind of feels like that's the question there. How's your church growing? Can I ask the question a little bit differently? They'll still keep your pastor hat on for a moment. Pretend you're the pastor of the church, and the DS comes and says, are the people in your church growing? Or how are the people in your church growing? Or that person, specifically, the name name, how are they growing? Or how are you growing? Does that feel like the same question? No. No, and for me as a as, as a as a pastor who have who've kind of lived in that question, like every year we have to fill out reports and tell them how many people came to church and how much money came in and, and we're kind of entering into that season in the life of the church and you meet with your denominational leadership and um, you kind of get asked those questions and there's a tension there and and, and maybe if your your imagination is is active this morning like you had that second cup of coffee and you're able to kind of think this through even more, your mind is, is, is churning the way that, that mine does, you might start to feel that, that tension of the, t- the two questions might lead to different activities. It might lead to different priorities. Like if, if I'm wanting or needing, or if you are wanting and needing a church to grow in numbers, that might cause a different set of activities than if you're wanting somebody to grow more like Jesus and so just by the way we ask that question when we talk about growth can lead us into different directions in terms of understanding what it is that god is up to in a particular place now i do all that not because i want you to feel sympathy for um the fact that i have to fill out my annual pastor's report here in a couple of weeks um it's i'm not trying to make you feel you know sad for me um, i'm asking that because in our scripture for today Um, Again, we're in the the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a letter to a church, and the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and he's going to talk about growth. And I want to make sure we're, before we even get started, I want to make sure we're all on the same page, because we have been shaped by a culture that just assumes bigger is better, more is better, right? And that creeps its way into the church. So when you say, how is your church growing, the default Setting is numbers. The ABCs of ministry, it was taught to me at one point in time. Attendance, buildings, and cash. In some church culture, some church circles today, people are referred to as giving units. That sounds pretty awful. Um, How many giving units are in your church? Well, we've gone up by 10 giving units this quarter. It, It... I don't even need to say anything more about that. Um, But the direction in the scripture today is not about the fact that the Corinthian church was in trouble because it needed more people to attend, it needed more money in the offering plate, or it needed to offer a second service or a Wednesday night Bible study. It didn't need more ministries, it didn't need more people, it didn't need more money, right? So I want to kind of lay that groundwork as we get started but when you see the word growth, he's talking about something that is more aligned with the second question. How are the people growing, not how is the organization growing? Fair enough? You can be, done be quit being the pastor for, for right now um, and uh, breathe that sigh of relief. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It'll be on the screen <coughs> uh, if you'd like to follow along there. It says this. Again, this is Paul The Apostle Paul writing to this church in Corinth that has been in conflict. Um, He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each task. I planted the seed Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. That's where it ends. Kind of an abrupt ending, but pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would gather our minds, that they may be one with you, open our ears that we may hear your word, soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom, speak to us for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. So just a quick recap of 1 Corinthians um, So far up until this point, I know we're only into chapter 3, but we're on like our sixth sermon uh, of this series in three chapters. Although the first one was in uh, Ephesians, so that doesn't count. Um, The church was divided by conflicts over which leaders were the most important and most impressive. right? And we kind of addressed this initially by announcing that God is the hero of the story. If you were here for that week, you remember God is the hero of the story And so, allegiance to other leaders, uh, anybody other than Jesus, will create conflict. But that the church can be united by faith and fidelity to King Jesus alone, right? Like, if you remember that, that that if, if we're all choosing, if the church in Corinth was all choosing different people to follow, of course there's going to be division. But if everybody says, Jesus is my king, that's who I'm going to follow, then there can be unity in the name of Jesus. Another week, we looked at the message of the cross, and, and that the, the message of the cross is, is that God is not only at work in hard places, uh, but that the worldly values and worldly wisdom will cause us to be blind to God's presence and God's work in those hard places. So not only do we believe that God is at work there, but if, if we try to evaluate through a worldly lens, we'll miss out on what God is up to because we'll be looking for the wrong things. Right? We'll miss God at work. Uh, The mind of Christ, which was our most recent uh, sermon that we looked at last week. uh, The mind of Christ is a gift from the Spirit that allows the church to view the world the way that Jesus views the world. The mind of Christ is not, as I said last week, a finish line. Say, oh, we've got it. We win. It's a beginning point. It's a, a way of being shaped to understand the world that we live in. Uh, to understand our own lives, to understand the church through the lens that Jesus uh, provides for us. We talked about how worldly values and worldly wisdom run contrary to the wisdom of God, which was revealed in Jesus. And so all of that kind of leads us up to our scripture for today that we just read a moment ago. And to be honest, there's a little bit of a repeat, like, Paul does this sometimes, and when he writes letters, he kind of circles back to things. You know, he kind of introduced some of the issues, and he's he's circling back. But don't tune out and think this is a rerun. There's some really important nuance happening here. Because the church in Corinth continues to let the wisdom and values of the world shape their church, it reveals that they have not yet been formed deeply by the wisdom and values of God. He starts out this letter in chapter 3, this part, by kind of... Lot, some pretty heavy criticism. Saying, oh, you are you're worldly, <laughs> you're infants, you're worldly, of course you're of the world. Like, he does not take it easy on them coming out. He says, because the worldly wisdom and the worldly values shape who you are as a church, uh, it reveals that you haven't been formed deeply by the wisdom and values of God. And so the Apostle Paul calls them infants in Christ. He says he's had to give them milk because they couldn't handle solid food. He says this conflict over which leaders they follow, along with the other conflicts and immoralities and all that type of stuff, and jealousy, it reveals that they're still worldly in the way that they operate. They're immature in their faith, not able to handle the solid food. (coughs) Now, can you think of anything more tragic than a church so distracted and shaped by worldly things that it misses out on experiencing the best part of following Jesus. Like, what a tragedy. Like, I, I was reading this, this scripture this week and was reading through Paul's kind of accusation, and I thought, what a sad state of affairs for this church in Corinth. That they've been gathered together in the name of Christ, they've been given everything that they've needed, as I said last week, they've been given everything that they've needed, including the mind of Christ, and yet they can't receive the solid food because they're distracted by worldly things and they're shaped by worldly things. What a tragedy. To have this ch- church in Corinth that was so wrapped up in worldly wisdom they never got to experience the most important elements of life in Christ. The Apostle Paul says that they're so caught up by dist- and, and distracted by arguing over which servants are the best that they actually are missing the king who sent the servants to begin with and who gave those servants the work to do You're focused on the servants and you miss the king. That's what's going on in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth today. He says, One servant plants seed, another servant waters that seed, but it is God which makes it grow. Who is the hero of this story? Again, there's a theme that comes back. Who's the hero of this story? Somebody plants some seeds over here. Somebody comes along a little bit later and waters it and then somebody else makes it grow, who well, the hero of the story is the one that makes the growth, right? The, the planting and the watering is not irrelevant, it's not nothing, but the hero is the one who makes it grow. God is the hero of that story, and that's what Paul is trying to get across to this church in Corinth. But remember, as as we started reading this morning, uh, chapter 3, this, this chapter started out by calling the church there uh, immature Christians. So they're infants. They're still shaped by the world. And so what I want you to hear this morning is when when Paul says that God makes the church grow, it's not a statement about the number of people who attend the church. It's not about the size of their offering. It's not about how many programs they have on the calendar or what their next building project is. When he says God makes it grow, he's not talking about making the organizational setup impressive in worldly terms. He's talking about, and you can probably connect these dots, it's, it's a statement about why this church in Corinth is still Immature. If it's God that makes it grow, if these other servants are doing work, but it's God that makes it grow, and and everybody has connected to the servants, they're missing out on the God who makes it grow, and so they're still immature, they're still infants in Christ because they're distracted by the values of the world. Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't say that they're not Christians. It's not a pass-fail test. He didn't say, oh, you all got to get out. Because you're not you're not getting everything, that means you're not a Christian. So you you gotta we're out the door you go. He isn't <coughs> saying they're not a part of the church. He's just saying they haven't grown as they should have been growing because they've been distracted by the conflicts within. He's not trying to condemn and criticize this church. It, I I read that and at first I'm like, man, this is. I, it'd take a brave pastor to get up in front of his church and say, "Y'all are children." Um, You're infants. (laughs) You're immature. It it would take a brave pastor to get up and do that, and and it sounds pretty harsh, but as I read through it, I realized that's not what's happening. It's not a criticism. He's not condemning them. He's not saying, you'll never amount to nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never get this figured out. In fact, he is, as he describes himself, a servant who is planting seeds. And he knows there's other servants who are watering those seeds. He's a servant who desires for them to grow in maturity in faith and fidelity to Jesus. If he didn't care about them, he wouldn't have written the letter. And so this isn't a condemnation, this isn't a criticism, this is correction, encouragement, and pointing to the things that really matter. He's identifying, he says, you guys... I've been so caught up in the things of this world, you're missing out on the thing that makes growth happen. Your immaturity isn't the problem, it's evidence of the problem. And, and, and the problem, again, is that this, there's this church in Corinth divided over which servants to follow, and it leaves them immature in their faith. It leaves them shaped by worldly values. Because only God makes things grow and they haven't been focused on God. The church in Corinth is immature in regards to godly things and they need to understand that it is God, not important leaders, nothing else, not wealth or status or anything else that can allow for them to grow. Again, growth is in depth, in maturity, in formation along the lines of Jesus. The second question I asked this morning not how's your church growing, but how are your people growing? That's the type of growth he's searching for here. It is God who grows people that way. It's God that grows a church to be disciples of King Jesus. And I bring all this up today. Again, I follow the lectionary. This isn't text that I went out and said, I want to preach on this. This is a prescribed text. kind of a study that takes three years to go through and every three years they give me four texts that I can preach from um and I I said we'll preach from first Corinthians back in October or November and we've been planning this for a while now um but this is a hard text to preach through and so you might be wondering well why am I preaching this what does this mean for us today um And as I was wrestling with this the other day, I I was thinking about how easy it is in our culture to follow famous Christian leaders, celebrity pastors, uh, social media influencers in the Christian culture, or even politicians that like to use Christian language. Um, There's podcasts and YouTube videos and live streams, and, and these can all be great tools to encourage us in our faith, educate people, on a scale that, even go back a few decades, we could not have imagined. Uh, I hear stories of cassette ministries where you'd go and you, you'd mail in a postcard or a letter to some place. They'd put your name on a list, and every so often you'd get a cassette tape of some famous preacher, and they'd send you this cassette tape every once in a while. Or you'd turn on uh, the TV, and you could watch some TV preacher and um, but even with that going on, what we have today available to us is on a scale that I don't think we could even have imagined a few decades ago. <clears throat> and while these technologies can be tools that help people grow in their faith, uh, they can also be a means in which those people on the other end of that technology are building a platform or building an audience using your commitment to Jesus. And so we live in this day and age where we can seek out things that will benefit us but we also have to be aware that people might want to use your faith in Jesus to build their own platform. So that's just a kind of a warning thing. I think that's the challenge for us as we go forward in our culture is being able to understand the motivation behind things and what is actually good for us. Um. And I, and I can say that from experience because I listen to several podcasts each and every week. It's part of my routine. Um, I watch some live streams each week from uh, churches and pastors and ministries. Um, pretty much every week I listen to one or two sermons from a nationally known pastor. Um, and, and there's a, a handful that I check in on, but somebody that would be... Uh, within certain circles, maybe you might not know them, um, but within certain Christian culture nationally known, maybe authors and l- leaders of large churches, whatever. I listen to that one or two of those a week. I also listen to one or two sermons from pastors within the Nazarene denomination, uh, like well-known, um, that, I, that I respect. Kind of, honestly, it's pastors that I want to be like. I want to hear what they're saying. They give me encouragement. Um, they give me guidance. They're my pastors, if you will. Um, and I listen to one or two of those sermons a week. And then more recently, I've started listening to one or two uh, live streams or sermons from pastors on our district here in Michigan. Um, as I'm able to, I, I listen to a, a few of the pastors that I run into at district functions and whatever, and they don't know that I'm listening. Sometimes I'll send an encouraging word along or something like that, but. Um, I think it's good for me to listen to what other pastors here in Michigan in small little churches spread around the state, what they're preaching and teaching on and what their church is up to. And as much as I find these sermons helpful, and I, and I do, I mean, this is it's life-giving practice for me, I do remember, I, I, I try my best to remember that even the best preachers that I listen to are servants who are trying to point me to Jesus not to themselves, right? They're planting seeds. They are watering seeds. But the goal is growing and maturing in our faithfulness to Jesus. It's God is the one who causes growth. God is the hero of the story, and so that has become my filter. If I feel like I tune into somebody, I follow somebody on social media and whatever, and I feel like they're promoting themselves, they're trying to build a brand or build a reputation or whatever. I have to use a little bit more discernment and caution there. Because it's Jesus that's the hero of the story. And if we forget that God is the hero of the story, then we end up with a distorted view of everything related to the church. right? So I often say everything's not, it's not a pass-fail test, it's not all or nothing, but I do think in this particular instance, if we forget that God is the hero of the story, then everything else is misshapen. Everything else is distorted if we forget that it is God's story and he's the hero. Because what happens if we forget that God is the hero of the story? Growth becomes less about the work that God wants to do in us, forming us to be more like Jesus. Growth becomes more about increase. As Cindy said earlier, it becomes about numbers. Increase in attendance, income, income or increase in our status and reputation. If we forget that God is the hero of the story, then pastors are viewed less as shepherds that guide and care for people, and they're viewed more as the talent that attracts a crowd, or the leadership that manages the organization. If we forget that God is the hero of the story, then ministry is understood less as about serving others, and becomes more about being programs that Meets the needs of the consumers of these religious activities. If we let uh, this get distorted by forgetting that God is the hero of the story, our outreach and evangelism functions become less as a method of sharing the good news and blessings we have received. It becomes less about sharing the good news that we have received, and it becomes more like church marketing and advertising. Because we have to create the increase, right? If we forget that it's God's the hero of the story, then offering becomes less about an act of worship. It becomes less about being formed as generous people in a world that says, more, more, more for me. Offering is a resistance, it's a rebellion against those worldly ways. But if we forget that God is the hero of the story, then offering can be reduced to like membership dues that basically pay for the bills for the organization. Leadership positions become less about having additional responsibilities to serve others and can become more about achieving a status or control that satisfies one pride or covers their insecurities. It it can become a focus on whether more or less people attend services rather than... Do we act more or less like Jesus because of what we've done as individuals and as a community? You can see how the distortion can happen if we forget that God is the hero and God is the one that that adds the growth and God is the one that is ultimately responsible for this. If we start worrying about, well, did more people come or less people come to church services, we quit asking the question, are we more like Jesus as individuals and as a community? The mission to make disciples in all nations, which I think we, if you've been Nazarene for any length of time, you've probably heard that phrase more than a handful of times. Our mission is to make disciples in all nations. Well, if that gets distorted, then the mission becomes about gathering crowds rather than growing Christ-like communities. The church calendar gets filled up with activities that comfort and entertain people, but it doesn't offer healing, salvation, or freedom from sin. If the church forgets that the ultimate purpose of our community is to grow in Christian maturity and character, some things happen. We will attempt to attract people with hype rather than sharing with them the hope that we have found in Jesus. If we forget that the church is meant to be a community that helps us grow in Christian maturity and in Christian character, we will look to grow in popularity rather than grow in peace we will in effect trade in being a Christ-like community in return to have a crowded church building. If growth means bigger and better, people who walk through our doors or doors of any church uh, with baggage and brokenness will be viewed as problems that are in the way of us becoming what we want to become rather than the mission that God has sent to us to care for and to participate with. Does that make sense? Like, if, if my goal as is, is, is the pastor is to make us a big, impressive church, if somebody walks through the door with a lot of problems, that gets in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish. But if I see my job as pastor is to care for, shepherd, and, and meet the needs of those who are walking through the door, then somebody walking through the door with baggage and brokenness isn't a problem. That's my job, my vocation. You can see how this distortion can shape the way we even view one another. So we've got this just this phrase we're going to put on the screen real quick. The purpose of the church and all the people in it, right? Like when I say church, I don't mean building. I mean us, is to plant and water seeds that God grows into mature Christ-like people and Christ-like communities. The purpose of pastors, ministry leaders is to be servants who plant and water. It's to point people to God who not only causes things to grow, but it causes things to grow more like Jesus. We don't want just any kind of growth, we want growth that makes us more like Jesus. That's that holiness word that we throw around from time to time. So, what does that look like around here? How do we plant and water so that God can cause us to grow more like Jesus? <clears throat> well, for, for me, I, like I said, I've been struggling with this tension between organizational and like pastoral responsibilities, organizational and, and, and missional responsibilities. Right? How do we uh, plant and water? Um, it's a question I've wrestled with for a while. In fact, that's how I ended up with the definition of a disciple that I came up with last year sometime. I introduced it as the one-one-one thing, and then I, I kind of built off of that. Um, I said a, a disciple of Jesus is someone who loves God, who loves others, and serves the world. And, and implicit in that statement, in that idea, are three activities, three behaviors that are the foundation for that. So, love God. Well, we we'll call that worship, right? The activities of worshiping God. We we say that's how we learn to love God better. We gather regularly in community with others and we acknowledge and respond to God's presence and work in our lives. So there's planting and watering going as we gather like we are today and singing songs and praying and hearing scripture and putting money in the offering. These are planting and watering practices that help us to love God more than we currently do. Uh, the second thing is love others, and that sounds like a really neat kind of, oh, let's just love everybody, but it, underneath that is these activities of connection, of relationship. It's this is idea that we can do more in, in this is an old-timey church catchphrase from like, well, I won't say old-timey, but 30 years ago maybe. We can do more in circles than we can do in rows, right? There has to be a moment in the life of Christians where we're gathered around a table or around a living room or in a space where you're not all just sitting listening to me talk, but that you listen to one another, that you're praying for one another, you're caring for one another, you're holding one another accountable, saying, "Hey, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Maybe that's the wrong path to go down. Or, oh, I, I'm so happy that you did that thing or whatever. That there's, the churchy word for it is fellowship. There's encouragement, accountability, discernment, prayer, When I talk about connection, I'm not just talking about a time for education or a time for socialization. You know, it's not school and it's not recess. But formation is part of a group of people that practices loving each other well in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to. So as we we gather in activities of worship, we're learning to love God better. As we gather in activities of connection, we're learning to love one another better. These are activities of planting and watering. And then the third thing, it's redundant as I say it, but it's we serve the world by serving one another. Uh, It's not just doing what we need to be done to make church happen. This isn't about, oh, we need somebody to to make the sound on the microphones go up or down, Uh, and so somebody says, well, I guess I can do that. But that it's, 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 not just making church happen, it's serving others, it's understanding our vocation. Uh, and, and just to be clear, moving the things on the, the soundboard is a really important thing. Um, I'm not diminishing, I'm saying like it's understanding our vocation. This The goal isn't to make church happen. It's to meet needs of other people. It's putting others' needs before our own. It's, it's learning to be empathetic. It's learning to be compassionate people. It's learning to how to use the gifts that you've been given and the abilities that you have to benefit somebody else. It's a stewardship of God's gifts to you as an individual and us collectively. And so my goal as pastor is not to fill every seat in the church with a person, though I'd probably get like some sort of reward or reward or recognition or something if I did that, but that's not my goal. My goal as the pastor is to invite, encourage, and equip every person in the church to love God, to love others, and to serve. My goal is to invite, encourage, and equip every person in the church to regularly participate in these activities of worship, of connection and Christian fellowship, and in service as regular parts of our life. And if you do these three things, I'm not guaranteeing that you're going to get the promotion at work. I'm not guaranteeing that your health will be perfect or that your bank account will be overflowing, that you'll get that new car or even that you'll be the most popular person, whatever. I'm not promising that. But I do promise that if you commit to planting and watering these seeds in your own lives and if you commit to planting and watering these seeds in the lives of other people, God will cause things to grow. And God will cause these things to grow more like Jesus. You can grow more like Jesus. We together as a church will grow more like Jesus. And so the invitation for us today is to take inventory of your participation in worship, connect, serve. To take inventory of of your routines, your habits, your practices, your commitments, your priorities, May your love for God be shaped and deepened through acts of worship. May your love for others be shaped and deepened through acts of Christian fellowship. May your service to the world be shaped through serving others in the church and in the community. So the invitation today is to take inventory You can ask yourselves these questions, and I hope you wrestle with it. Write them down or or whatever, but it's three questions. They're very simple. In the next seven days, I am going to worship by fill-in-the-blank. In the the next seven days, I am going to connect in Christian fellowship by fill-in-the-blank. In the the next seven days, I am going to serve by fill-in-the-blank. And what, what we have been trying to do as a, a church leadership team is to provide opportunities so that the, it's not hard to answer those questions. How are you going to worship in the next seven days? How are you going to connect in Christian fellowship in the next seven days? How are you going to serve in the next seven days? We are planting and watering seeds of spiritual growth so that we may mature into a community that looks like Jesus. Jesus. I think, again, just how tragic it must be for that church in Corinth who had been given everything. Last week, Paul said, I have given you the very, not I have given you, but you have received through the Spirit the very mind of Christ. And you turn the page, and he's like, and you guys are still children in faith. I can't even give you the good stuff yet. We are at work planting and watering seeds of spiritual growth in each other's lives so that we may mature into community that looks like Jesus. The mission of the church is not to grow in size or in wealth or status or reputation. The mission of the church is to grow in faithfulness, in obedience to and in the character of our king, King Jesus. Let me say that again. The mission of the church is to grow in faithful obedience to and in the character of our King, King Jesus. I'm going to pray as the the worship team comes, and they're going to lead us in a moment of response and help us once again practice activities of worship that help us to love God better. Heavenly Father, you have set before us a path But sometimes we wander and try to find our own way. Sometimes we are like toddlers and we hear your call and we we come back. Other times we are like children testing boundaries, ignoring your call until fear finally makes us look back. And still other times we are full of youthful rebellion Desiring, demanding to be cut loose and set free. Not knowing how much we still need to seek your wisdom and guidance. But most of all, too often we think we are the adults. And we have it all figured out. We know our own way. And then we only stumble and stray so far. So remind us. Father, that we are always your children, that we are never fully grown up in your sight, that we always have much to learn. Help us to seek you every day, to acknowledge that we need your wisdom, we need your guidance. Help us to return to the path and walk with you. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, who is our companion and guide on this journey of faith it's in his name we pray amen